Hello, and welcome to the Catching Health Podcast. I'm Diane Atwood, your own personal health reporter. Have you ever heard of the term palliative care? It's a medical specialty that focuses on improving quality of life for someone dealing with a serious illness. Some people confuse it with hospice care, but it's different. My guest today is going to explain the difference to us and also help us understand why palliative care can play a vital role at any stage of a person's illness. Dr. Meyer is the director of the Center to Advance Palliative Medicine at the Mount Sinai School of Medicine in New York City. Thank you for taking the time to be with us, Dr. Meyer. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. First of all, in your own words, what is palliative care? So palliative care is a new team-based medical specialty with focus on improving quality of life for people living with a serious illness and for their families. So for example, that means paying expert attention to symptoms like pain or fatigue or loss of appetite or difficulty sleeping paying very close attention to the concerns and needs of family caregivers because seriously ill people are critically reliant on their families um, to deal with their illness. And it also involves expert communication skills. That is the ability to help patients and families understand the meaning of the illness, what to expect in the future, what the treatment options are and their pros and cons. And then once a patient or a family decides what is most important to them, given the reality of the illness, the palliative care team helps make sure that the care plan uh, is focused on achieving what is most important to the patient and the family. So that part involves coordination over time, coordination across settings, and lots and lots and lots of communication, not only with the patient and the family, but very importantly with all their different doctors and specialists that are involved in the care. So it is very different from hospice care. Can you explain it? Explain it. Yeah. So hospice care, the short answer is all hospice is palliative care, but not all palliative care is hospice. So hospice is a very special Medicare benefit that passed, became law about 25 years ago, and it created an option for people who are clearly dying. That is within six months of death. Um, And it's a special Medicare payment model that enables people who are clearly dying to get all kinds of wonderful care wherever they call home. Most of the time it's in people's own homes, but patients can receive hospice care in their nursing home, in their assisted living facility. You can even get hospice care if you're in the hospital. Um, And what hospice provides is, again, an interdisciplinary team, nurses, social workers, doctors, chaplains, others, who will come to where you are, where you live, to address the patient and family's needs. But the primary focus of hospice care is quality of life during the dying process. Palliative care is different than hospice care because it is not limited to the dying. It is available to anyone with a serious illness, whether that serious illness can be cured. And the example there is, say, a young person with a leukemia that we hope to cure with a bone marrow transplant. That diagnosis and that treatment is very burdensome and very difficult for patients 
patients. So people need palliative care both after diagnosis and during treatment until they are cured, in which case they no longer need it. The largest population that gets palliative care are people with chronic illnesses who can live for many years, sometimes more than a decade, with a serious problem like emphysema or dementia or heart failure um, or after a stroke. So nowadays we live for a very long time with those types of illnesses whereas 50 years ago we would have died very quickly if we had any one of those but modern medicine while it hasn't enabled cures of those diseases has enabled us to live for much much longer and the goal of palliative care is to make that added time worth having um, regardless of how long you're going to live whether you're going to be cured, whether you're going to live for 10 or 20 years, or whether you have a disease that's progressing and is likely to shorten your life. You can't always predict. You know, you hear oh, somebody has been diagnosed with cancer and they have six months to live and they live mm -hmm. for two years, three years or whatever, right. or, or vice versa. Right. right. So how do you um, determine when somebody is ready for hospice care? It's actually very difficult. Um, the policymakers who wrote the law, the hospice law, seem to assume that we doctors know when someone is within six months of death. And the fact is we don't know. It's impossible to say six months before death that that person is likely to be dead in six months because we really you – can't, you can't see the signs that early that someone is approaching death. And we're still pretty inaccurate at predicting the timing of death even a month before death. So the result of that, because it is so difficult to predict the future, why that came as a surprise to our policymakers, I'll never know, but it is very difficult to predict the future. As a consequence of that, most people who get hospice get it for less than three weeks because it isn't until that close to the time of death that we doctors have any confidence in our ability to predict the timing of that death. Um, and the reason the palliative care movement has exploded in the past 10 to 15 years is because it's obvious that people living with serious illness need attention to their quality of life and to that of their families long before they are actually dying, years beforehand. And so that's, that's why hospice by itself really couldn't meet the need. So in the perfect scenario, you have somebody who's been receiving palliative care and it just can sort of slide into hospice care when it's yeah, necessary. Yeah, so, um, so that is often what happens, that people are getting palliative care often for several years, two to three years. And then when it becomes clear that they are declining for, and the, the markers of that are things like less and less able to get out of bed or out of chair, spending most of their time in better chair, getting sleepier and sleepier, refusing to eat and drink. Those things are pretty universal signs that um, an irreversible decline has begun. That is usually the right time to counsel the patient and the family about the benefits of hospice, all the great things that Medicare pays for in your own home that you really can't get any other way. Um, I think the other important thing for your audience to know, and many people don't know this, is that, first of all, hospice is one of the best things that Medicare pays for, you know, care at home. 
that's what people want. And a team that comes to your house pays for your meds and your equipment and all that kind of stuff, um, essentially for free. It's one of the best. You've paid into that your whole life. You should take advantage of it. The second thing that people don't realize is that you are not, it's not a one-way street. So many people go into hospice and then come off hospice if they start doing better and then go back on when they start declining again. You can come off hospice any time you want. It is not a one-way street. And I think once people realize that, then they can sort of take advantage of it better. You know, that happened with my dad. Um, he passed away about six years ago, but he went into hospice to the Gosnell Memorial Hospice Home here in Maine, and uh, he was in incredible pain. They got his pain under control. He also had a lot of visits with a social worker, just mm -hmm. talking about what was going on, and he was able to come back home again for a while, even to have Thanksgiving with us. That's great. Yeah, and then he had the hospice experience so that when he had to go back in, he was he knew what to expect. He knew yeah. that it was a, a loving, caring environment. Yeah, exactly. And I think... I think um, very often it's hard for people to contemplate the idea of hospice because they perceive it as a one-way street into the grave, and it's just not true. And, and, and because of that, people do not get the care they have a right to, which is much higher quality than uh, when you don't get it. Well, when somebody is diagnosed with, let's say, cancer, Mm -hmm. um, there's usually a, a treatment team that's assembled, You've got the primary care doctor, surgeon, medical yeah. oncologist. Yeah. Yeah. How likely is it that in this day and age that there will also be a palliative care specialist on that team automatically? Um, actually, still not very likely. Um, there, the American Society of Clinical Oncology, which is the oncologist membership organization in the United States, about two weeks ago put out a practice guideline to all of their oncologists that said that all people with um, cancer that has spread essentially, metastatic cancer, advanced cancer, should be receiving palliative care at the same time as cancer treatment. Um, but it takes a long time between the release of a guideline and the change in a lifetime of practice behavior. And most oncologists out there were not trained in a, uh, fellowship or residency training program that routinely provided palliative care at the same time as cancer treatment. And so they're just not comfortable with it because they didn't learn it when they were in training. So it takes a long time. So I think the important takeaway message for a public audience is that you have to demand it. So if you are diagnosed with cancer, and this is what one of our medical residents had to do a few years ago, she was diagnosed with a lymphoma that required a bone marrow transplant um, right after finishing her internal medicine residency. And she was talking to the doctor who was going to give her the bone marrow transplant. And after they were done talking, he said, do you have any questions? And she said to him, I assume you have palliative care as part of my team. This was like a year ago. And that oncologist said to her, why would you need palliative care? You're not dying. And because she had trained at my hospital, Mount Sinai Hospital, where she saw the benefit 
of getting palliative care at the same time as cancer treatment. She said to him, I'm not going through this really difficult treatment without that added layer of support. And they couldn't provide it for her at the cancer hospital. So she got her palliative care from us at Mount Sinai and her cancer care from the cancer hospital. Um, and she now says she could not have gotten through the rigors of that bone marrow transplant, which was no fun, um, without having the added support for the insomnia, the nausea, the depression, the profound fatigue um, that came with her treatment. And she actually went with us to testify in, in front of Congress about the importance of palliative care as a mandatory component of cancer care, because cancer care is really hard on the patients and the families. So walk me through it. Say you were seeing her for the first time. How would you approach her? What would you ask her, offer her? So um, if you if you go to a cancer center, you will see the nutritionist. You will see the social worker who will talk to you about you know your housing and your family support and your finances and do you have enough money to pay for all the stuff that insurance isn't going to cover and you should ideally also see someone from the palliative care team um, just as part of routine cancer care and what the palliative care team does is start by getting to know who this person is as a human being trying to understand is this person you know, uh, someone who is really anxious to get back to work as soon as possible? Is this someone whose idea of um, a good quality of life is being at home with their family? Is understanding who the person is, because you cannot make recommendations to a patient without understanding who they are and what matters most to them. So we always start by getting to know the patient as a person and their family and understanding the person that they are, um, as opposed to the disease that they have. And understanding the person that they are then helps us help them hold on to their personhood, who they are, despite the cancer diagnosis, despite the cancer treatment. Um, so for example, it might be meticulous management of depression, fatigue, and pain so that someone can go to work during cancer treatment. It might mean prescribing psychostimulants like Ritalin to someone whose chemotherapy has made them too exhausted to get out of bed so that they can get out of bed and be part of their family and maybe even go to work. But if we don't understand the patient's priorities, first of all, how can we possibly help them? So that's what the palliative care team does alongside the oncologist who is prescribing the chemotherapy. But one would think that the oncologist, having, tr having treated probably many, many patients, would get that. Or is it just that you have everybody has his or her own specialty or what they feel comfortable dealing um, with? So I think the issue is, and I think the public is logical and correct to assume that their oncologists, of course, are trained to do this. But unfortunately, that is not the case. Oncologists are trained to give chemotherapy or radiation therapy or to stage the cancer. They are not trained to take care of the whole person. They are not trained, for example, in pain and symptom management. They are not trained in communicating with patients and families about what, their high, what is most important to them in their life. 
It's just not part of their training and they don't do it. Now, should that change? Absolutely, it should change. It should be a core part of oncologist training and every other clinician's training for that matter. But at this point, it still isn't. Um, and I think while that is maybe upsetting to hear for your audience, let the buyer beware. You really need to know what you can expect from a clinician you're going to see. I mean, just as I think most people know that if you go to a surgeon, you're pretty likely to get a surgical recommendation. If you go to an oncologist, you're going to get treatment for your cancer specifically. Don't expect more than those clinicians are really trained to offer. So is that something that you or somebody else uh, who offers palliative care can do to help people sort out what... Um are the best op options for them? Yeah, I mean, I think very often primary care physicians play that role um, for patients they've known for a long time to kind of help them weigh the pros and cons of, should I have surgery on this? Should I not have surgery on this? Unfortunately, what frequently happens when people get a bad diagnosis, whether it's cancer or emphysema or heart failure or dementia, is that they end up seeing the specialist and they stop seeing their regular primary care doc. Our health system is so fragmented that it's hard for the primary care doc and for the patient to keep up with all these different specialists. And what ends up happening is that patients find themselves using the specialist as a replacement in some ways for the primary care physician. They really can't be a replacement for that. Um, so if you've got a primary care doc that wants to stay your your major doctor during your serious illness, you're lucky. Hold on to that person. Um, make sure that you consult with that person about all these major decisions because they understand, well, are more likely to know who you are as a human being and help make recommendations in that context. But if, as is often the case, once the primary care doc refers you to the oncologist or the cardiologist, you stop seeing your primary care doc. And the management becomes more and more that of the specialist. In that situation, I think it's critically important to demand support from a palliative care team at the same time. And what I've counseled patients to say is to their doctor, you know, when asking for saying, I'd like, I'd like to get a palliative care consultation, I'd like to get some help from palliative care. And then the doctor predictably says, why? You don't need palliative care. You're not dying. The patient needs to come back and say, actually, that's hospice. That's only for the dying. Palliative care is for anyone living with a serious illness. And I read that it not only markedly improves quality of life and ability to function for the patient and family, but that there are multiple studies showing that people who get palliative care actually live longer than people who do not get palliative care. Why wouldn't you want me to have that kind of care? And so that's one of the things that you're trying to do is to mm -hmm. improve access to train new physicians. Yeah, and I'm also very grateful to have been invited to do this with you because I think a critical driver of getting doctors to pay more attention to this issue is demand from their patients and families. So that when patients and families say, look, you know, I'm reading on the Internet and it says that people who get palliative care not only feel better and do better, they live longer why wouldn't you want me to have that added benefit? That educates that doctor. 
Absolutely, because I, I have heard that there are some doctors who haven't been open-minded about it because they might view palliative care as um, them not doing their job. You know, right. that I'm not curing the patient. Um, now they want palliative care, so that means I've failed. Yeah, so I think that that's how it's important for patients and families to say, I really value and I'm grateful for the care you've given me. And I want this added layer of support to help both of us help me. Um, so I always use the analogy with patients and with doctors. Say the oncology patient has an infection. It is very common for that oncologist to call in an infectious diseases consultant to help make sure that the right antibiotic is given. This is really no different, right? The oncologist isn't failing the patient by calling in the infectious disease consultant. The oncologist is merely trying to get the optimal care for that patient. Calling in palliative care is the same thing. Okay. And another point, you may have touched upon it earlier, I can't remember, is that palliative care doesn't mean that you've stopped your treatments. With palliative care, it's it's treatment it's, plus the palliative care. It's at the same time. Um, as I just was describing in, in our former medical resident, Christina, um, she's now cured. At least there's no evidence of disease over a year after her bone marrow transplant is over. But the treatment itself was devastating for her. And she got very aggressive palliative care um, during her treatment. And now, of course, she's fine. We don't see her anymore. Um, and, you know, she doesn't need it. But she got it during treatment in order to tolerate the treatment. I have a dear friend who was just diagnosed with a serious cancer, and she doesn't have all the answers yet. She has doctor's appointments coming up. But she's already asked me or, or told me, I want, uh, I need to speak to somebody who can help me to eat what I should be eating to get through the chemo. Yeah. Um, I need um, to know what questions to ask my doctor. Now, yeah. I, I want to tell her, you need a palliative care specialist. Yeah. But how do you go about finding one, really, if there's not a good good one in your community? Well, first of all, there's a, um, a website that's aimed at the public called getpalliativecare.org. All one word, get palliative care. And then you choose your state. There's a drop-down menu. And then under your state, you choose your city or your region. And you will see all of the entities that we've been able to find that deliver palliative care in your area. And then you get on the phone. And you say to them, you know, I'm a newly diagnosed cancer patient. I'm about to start treatment. I want to have concurrent, simultaneous palliative care. Do you provide that? And if we can't find any, then I'm calling you back. There you go. I'll do my best to help. How did you get into this? I read someplace that you um, aimed to be a teacher at one time. Yeah, I did. Actually, at college, I was um, I, I had all but my certification for um, high school teaching. So my junior year, I, I spent a semester actually teaching um, as opposed to theoretically teaching. And A, I saw how incredibly difficult it is and how little impact a six-hour-a-day teacher can have on a child who lives in poverty, um, who's in an abusive household, whose parents don't read to them and don't get them to bed before midnight. And I felt like I needed more power to do good than I would have as a teacher. And 
I went to medical school somewhat naively, thinking that as a physician, I would have more authority and power to do good. And I think that was naive at the time, but later, as it turned out, I was right. That with that medical degree and the uh, knowledge and influence and authority that that brings me, I have been really lucky to be able to be one of the drivers of this palliative care movement in the United States. And I hear from anecdotes that you're really good at one-on-one and getting down to the human being level with people. Well, isn't that the whole point of the practice of medicine? Isn't that the whole kind of core value and principle at the heart of it is that relationship? And how can any clinician or physician serve their patient's best interest if you don't know who they are? Well, that's where we're going to end. I want to thank you so much, Dr. Meyer, for taking the time to speak with us today. The world is a better place because you are in it. Oh, that's very kind of you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Catching Health podcast. If you have any questions or suggestions for future topics, send me an email, diane at dianeatwood.com. You can connect with me on Twitter at Catching Health, and Catching Health is also on Facebook. For more health reporting that makes a difference, please check out my blog at catchinghealth.com. Have a great day.